The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. So, homecoming. You know, this is a time when past, present, and future kind of intersect. Uh, many are here looking back at the past. Uh, remembering where they came from when they were students, looking around here at the present to see how things have changed. And then many, many, many of you are looking ahead to the future as well. I think like no other time on campus, with the exception of commencement, do uh, you see a rich mingling of old and new. Uh, those who are peering into the past fondly and others who are fearing the future, whatever might come. Uh, you know, I think some of us here, I can't see very well, but I'm pretty sure some of us here have a lot more to look back on than to look forward to, and a lot of us have a lot more to look forward to than to look back on. Hopefully, a lot of us are kind of in the middle, uh, past, present, and future. You know, if I were to describe these three groups using a building analogy, it would look something like this. Group number one, probably under 30 which I'm guessing is a, the majority of you here, you know, you're probably either searching for a plot of land where, to, where you can plant your life and start building, or you've begun laying that foundation, and chances are it's still a little soft, and you have a lot of decisions yet to make, uh, hopefully putting the Lord in the midst of that, uh, that quest for what is it that He wants you to do. Group two would probably be between... 30 and 60. Your foundation is set. You've built your building of your ministry, your family, your career, and you've been living in it for a long time. You've probably done a little remodeling, maybe some foundation repair, uh, certainly some rearranging of the furniture, uh, but you're pretty stable. The third group, uh, 60 and over. <laughs> you do a little bit more looking back now than looking ahead. You've lived in this house of the life that you've built. You've had a lot of guests come and go. You've built into the lives of others who are in the midst of their building projects. And as you look at the life and the legacy uh, that you've built, you're deciding right now to whom you're going to be passing the keys. So now I know that any kind of a diagram or picture is a little idealized. Life doesn't really work out that neatly. Many of us here realize maybe we've constructed our lives on a not the best foundation. Maybe we're realizing that we've neglected something in our present that needs a little maintenance. And maybe we haven't thought enough yet about our legacy, what we would like to leave behind. The truth is, all of us, regardless of age and stage of life, need to be constantly thinking about all three of these intersecting dimensions, past, present, and future, as we make decisions day to day. Now, to help us think about the past, attend to the present, and plan for the future, I want to take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And there Paul employs first an agricultural image and then a building metaphor for the Christian life that's lived without regrets. I'd like to apply Paul's exhortation to the lives of all of us here this morning, whether you are uh, a fresh student just starting out, barely having put down roots or, or pushed up shoots, uh, as well as those Karen alumni who have shown up 
to reflect on where they, they, they've been, where they are, and where they're going. So to do this, I'm going to organize this message very easily around three imperatives from my reflections on 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and they are this. First, remember those who labored for you. Second, retain the foundation laid for you. And third, remain on that project left to you. Pretty simple. Remember those who labored for you, retain the foundation left for you, laid for you, and remain on the project left to you. So let's get started. Number one, remember those who labored for you. 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 9. Paul begins, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. Now, let's pause here for a little bit of context. Uh, Paul had planted the church in Corinth. Other teachers like Apollos as well as, as others had come along after him and had begun to build into the lives of those believers to mature them in the faith. But since then, these little factions had popped up. Little warring tribes formed and arguing over which teacher was best and which things should be emphasized, and they were fighting with each other over nothing. But Paul is calling all of these factions back together by reminding them that all of these heroes of theirs were all on the same team. And so he goes on. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field. So you can see Paul is using a very common, uh, easy-to-understand agricultural metaphor here. Uh, you don't have to be a farmer to understand this. You just Third graders can get that you plant a seed, you water it, up pops up a plant, and it grows to eventually bear fruit. So in Corinth, Paul is the one who has planted, Apollos comes along and waters it, and God is the one who is working through these and other men to build up that group in the faith. So men and women, in your own lives, God has worked for many, many years through many people. These may be uh, parents or grandparents, church leaders, teachers, professors, mentors, older classmates, but people God has used to uh, build into plant seeds and nurture your intellectual, your emotional, your social, your spiritual growth. Verse 8 says that each person who has contributed to this will receive according to his labor. Notice that. The word labor here is a Greek word kopos. The term means a state of discomfort or distress, trouble, difficulty, or to engage in activity that is burdensome, work, labor, toil. Now, of all of us, as we sit here, uh, and reflect on those men and women in our past who have poured their lives into us. It's sometimes tempting to obsess over the frustration and agony and disappointment and travail that, that we experienced in the process, isn't it? But let's not forget 1 Corinthians 3.8. It says, their planting and watering and nurturing work in our lives was kopos. I caused my teachers and my parents and my pastors distress. 
I caused them trouble and difficulty. I'll be honest, I remember teaching me was not easy. Just ask Tom Allen or Todd Williams or John Hanna, some of my professors and teachers over the years. I'm sure for many of us it was the same. We didn't make it easy on them. So remember those who labored for you. How can we do that in real, tangible ways? Um, first of all, we could thank them. We could thank them. Uh, in writing, preferably, or an email. You know, once in a while, I'll get uh, a handwritten note or a card or an email from a former student. Maybe it was just a, the last semester, or maybe they've been out in ministry for a while, and something I said clicks, and they realize, uh, hey, I'm going to thank Spiegel. And many of you in education who have been teaching have experienced the same thing. It's very encouraging to get such a note. To realize that what we do actually does contribute to this growing process in our students. So you can thank them. Another thing you can do to show appreciation is by supporting them through prayer, through financial support, the institutions they represent. We've had schools. Some of you come from private schools. You're, you're at uh, Cairn University here. Um, you may be going on to other schools. By contributing to them financially as the Lord blesses you, you're, think about this, it's, you're paying it back in a way that actually pays it forward. Talk about the intersection of past, present, and future. So if the Lord has given you the ability to do so, do it. In those real tangible ways, you can remember those who labored for you. Remember those who labored for you. Second... Retain the foundation laid for you, 1 Corinthians 3, 9 through 11. Paul shifts suddenly. It's an abrupt shift from the agricultural to the building image. He says, you are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is now building on it. Let each one take care how he builds on it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now in Corinth, Paul played, he says, the role of the master builder. Literally, an architectone is the Greek word. Now, uh, architects, you probably, are there any architects here? Any people, parents who are architects? How about general contractors? You know the difference? One kind of draws up the plans and charges a lot of money for someone else to charge a lot of money to build the thing. Now, if you were both of these at the same time, the architect as well as the builder or the, or the general contractor, you would be close to what the Greek would refer to as an architectone, the one who both designs and then executes the design in a building plan. So as this architect builder, Paul had laid a foundation, verse 10, and it wasn't just any foundation, whatever he felt fit their needs, it was the one true foundation, Jesus Christ, verse 11. Elsewhere, Paul's going to describe uh, the Christian faith as built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Now, a couple of years ago at home, it, was, uh, it, it doesn't rain a lot in Texas, but when it does, it just pours. And so I thought, I'm going to capture some of this rain. So I installed a 50-gallon rain barrel in my backyard and attach it to our, our patio roof, and a good hard rain will fill that thing up really quickly. And that's a, that's a picture of the, the rain barrel I put in. 
Now, you need to have a couple of feet between the ground and the rain barrel so you can actually get the water out. I knew that much. And so I decided I would take an old wooden chair and I removed the back and I set that rain barrel on top of it. Create the space. I'm so smart. I thought it was a great idea. I really did. I was proud of myself for recycling this chair, you know, using something that I had at hand. How thrifty of me. <laughs> but, well, um, I have to admit it wasn't, this isn't what you would call a firm foundation. It wasn't a very well thought out plan. So as it repeatedly soaked in the rain and then baked in the Texas sun, it got brittle. And do you know how much 50 gallons of water weighs? I, 400 pounds. Over 400 pounds. I didn't know. I didn't Google it. <laughs> so one spring day, I was up in my upstairs office. The window was open. The birds were chirping in the background and the bees buzzing by. You know, the breeze was blowing in and all of a sudden I hear this loud crack. Somehow I knew exactly what it was. I didn't have to think. It just like came to me in a vision. And I ran downstairs and sure enough, that rain barrel was on the ground, 50 gallons of water, you know, spread all around my backyard. Grass was very green in that patch for a while. And there lying under the barrel were the brittle bones of that. That's the actual remains. I exhumed them just to show you what that looked like. And so what did I do? I did what I should have done at the beginning. I took a ride to Lowe's, forked out just a little bit of money. Cinder blocks are not that expensive. And this is it now. Notice that. There you go. It's what I should have done in the beginning. That, that, that rain barrel's not going anywhere without my express permission. So there's a lesson here. It's a lesson I should have known, but I had to learn the hard way, that a structure is only as fit as its foundation is firm. So men and women, your parents and teachers and pastors and mentors, your professors, have labored to build for each of you a foundation, a firm foundation, conformed to the person and work of Christ, in continuity with the teachings of the apostles and prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Now, perhaps already for some of you, but certainly in the years ahead, many of you might be tempted to set that aside, to lay maybe your own foundation, find your own way, maybe pitch your own tents or throw together your, your own shanty or cabin or rickety wooden chair. Especially some of you first-year students, you know, you've just escaped what felt like the constricting confines of a conservative Christian home. Or some of you are about to be launched into freedom called graduation. And you know the world, what they say about the things we believe and teach, how narrow and how backward our worldview can be. That is, the truth claims and the morality that we teach. It's going to be hard for some of you. It was hard for me to believe that this foundation laid for you really is firm, that it really is the best. But despite all appearances and, and contrary to and in defiance of everything the world says, any other foundation is a brittle, rickety wooden chair that can't bear the heavy burdens of life. 
There's no firmer foundation than the Christian faith. Your parents, your teachers, your professors, your mentors have all labored to build that faith into your lives as the solid foundation for your, for your intellectual, for your moral, for your social development. So I urge you to constantly look to that foundation, not as something not as something in the past that you need to get over. That foundation is something that you need to continually go back to and stand firmly upon. So as you remember those who labored for you, retain the foundation laid for you. They worked hard to put it there. Finally, remain on the project left to you. 1 Corinthians 3, 11-17. Paul says, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's uh, works will become manifest. So listen, you haven't merely been given a foundation, you've been given a mission, a task, a holy calling, as Paul will say. All of you have been sent into continuing this building project that others have begun. Notice verse 12, it says, Now if anyone builds on the foundation, anyone, so hold on now, I'm going to do a little poll. Would anyone raise your hand? If you are anyone, all right, I'm serious. This applies to you. You're anyone. If anyone builds on the foundation, which foundation? the one built on those who labored for you, the one I urge you to retain. But notice, don't only retain it, you build upon it. I want you to notice the materials here that he mentions. He says, if anyone builds on it with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. You notice the the digression, the degeneration of the quality of those materials. The valuable materials listed first and the uh, less-than-quality materials last. You know, this reminds me of a story. I don't know if it's true or not. Uh, Might be a legend. Uh, The Three Little Pigs. You all know it. Remember the story. One built his house out out of straw, the other one out of sticks, and then the other one out of bricks. And when the big bad wolf came along, only the building made out of bricks actually survived. The lesson from the story is very simple, but it's also very profound. It's so basic, an illiterate child can understand it. So important that no grown-up should ever forget it. We learned that lesson. Build your house out of bricks, not out of sticks. What's your house made out of? Well, only about 5% of new homes built in, in the United States are actually built out of brick. Even homes that look like brick are actually mostly brick veneer. It's like brick, thin layer of brick attached to a a wooden exterior wall. In other words, odds are that most of you here have houses that are basically made out of sticks. Now in Germany, where my wife is from, uh, we visit there every couple of years. It's very difficult uh, on building sites to find anybody building something out of wood. I've never seen it. Uh, probably it's the opposite percentage. Uh, I've seen people's garden sheds in Germany built out of brick. <laughs> it 
So in a construction site in Germany, you're, you're probably going to find something that looks like this. Even the interior walls are built out of brick. So even though most of us have heard the story of the three little pigs over and over again, why do we insist on building our houses out of sticks? Well, that's easy. It's, wood is abundant. You cut it down, use it, it grows back. It's inexpensive. It's actually faster and easier to build with. Okay, yes, severe weather can, can level a house made out of wood, and they can, it can rot. Termites can eat it. Ah, but, you know, treat it with toxic chemicals and maybe replace some of the rotted wood, and you're good to go. Brick, on the other hand, is very expensive. It's durable. It does last. There are, there are homes in my wife's hometown that, that are older than the United States of America. It lasts forever. But it requires a lot of skilled construction, very expensive, and takes a little longer to work with. So the building material of choice in the U.S., unlike Germany, is sticks. And so though we don't quite take it literally with regard to our own building materials, the lesson of the three little pigs does still stand. It's the same warning Paul urged us to in verse 10. Let each one take care how he builds upon this foundation that's been laid for you. I want each one here to remember, this is applying to you, each one of you. Each one of you has been given this task to continue to build on this foundation that's been laid for you. But you have to be careful how you build upon it because, Paul says, there's going to be a reckoning. The materials that he mentions in verse 12, the gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, are going to be tested. And you have to ask yourself, am I going to commit to this building project with, with devotion, with energy, with committed self-sacrificial labor to the glory of God? Or am I going to do just enough to get by? Paul uses the metaphor of a fire roaring through the building project as a symbol for the reckoning that we all are going to face one day when God will put our own work to the test. Verses 13 through 15. Each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work, the quality that each one has done. If the work that, survive, uh, that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. Verse 15, if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved. This isn't a matter of working for your salvation. It's a matter of the reward that you get as you serve him in this life. He himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Then to emphasize the seriousness of the project, look at verses 16 through 17. Do you not know that you are God's temple? The you here is plural. He's talking to the church in Corinth. He hasn't changed. Uh, in, in Texas, we would say, y'all. Don't y'all know? Now, in Minnesota, where I'm originally from, we had to use guys. I don't know what you, you do here. To, don't, do not use guys know that you guys are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in y'all. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. This is serious. The God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. The church, the building up of the church, this work that you're supposed to do is a holy calling. 
So in the immediate context here, Paul's applying this metaphor to the church and the work that they're doing as covenanted members of this family to exhort and encourage and hold each other accountable and to keep them on the project that had been left for them. They had a responsibility to build up that church with quality material, not cheap tricks, not gimmicks, not half-hearted, low-quality contributions, doing just enough to get by and get noticed. The stakes are high. If their poor efforts led to the church's destruction rather than to its construction, there would be severe consequences. So men and women, including the students here, alumni, professors, visitors, parents, each of you and all of us, we're called to take the gifts and the talents, the skills, the training, the opportunities that have been given to us and to work them for the building project. So wherever you go, whatever you do for a career, don't forget the calling you have on your life, whether you are a preacher or a teacher or a counselor or a lawyer or a parent or whatever it is that you're doing, you're not your own. You were bought with a price, and you're to glorify the Lord through your labor in this building project. So pretty simple. Remember those who labored for you. Thank them. Help them. Contribute to the work that they're doing and have done. Retain the foundation laid for you. Don't deviate from it. There's nothing better. And finally, remain on the project left to you. Remain on the project left to you. Glorify the Lord in all your work, whatever it is that he calls you to do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the example that Paul has given of the labor that he endured, the trials and the tribulations on behalf of his own disciples. Help us to appreciate those who have done that in our own lives, to honor them by retaining that foundation of the faith that you've given us, and by continuing their work and extending their legacy by continuing to be faithful into the future. And we pray these things in Jesus' name and by the Spirit. Amen.